0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. This morning we are rounding out chapter one of James. We've had a few messages already and we're, we're uh, at the end of chapter one. So if you've got a Bible If you've got a printed Bible or a Bible on your device, pull it open, open it up, and we're going to read from James chapter 1, verse 22 today to the end of the chapter. So here we go. Everybody good? Ready to go? Ready to get stuck in? James 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to start this morning with a little story. This is a story about a town called Duckville. And in Duckville, there is a church of ducks. One Sunday, the duck preacher stood up at the pulpit and spoke eloquently of how God had given the ducks wings with which to fly. He pounded the pulpit with his beak and he said, Ducks, with these wings, there is nowhere we cannot fly. There is no God-given task we ducks cannot accomplish. With these wings, we we no longer need to walk through life. We can soar high in the sky. The ducks quacked, Amen, throughout the duck congregation. The duck preacher concluded his message by exclaiming, With our wings we can fly through life. We can fly. More ducks quacked out loud, amens, in response. One duck even quacked glory. (laughs) Every duck loved the service. In fact, all the ducks that were present commented on what a wonderfully convicting message they'd heard from their duck preacher. And after the service, all the ducks filed out of church and waddled all the way home. Now, I, I know it's a bit of a cheesy story. I'm not usually given to such illustrations. I tested it on my boys yesterday, and they liked it, but I wasn't <laughs> sure how it would go. But, but, but I, I use it only because I think that it makes the point, doesn't it? It makes the point that James is getting at in this passage, which is a really simple point. This is not hard stuff today. I mean, this basic point James makes in verse 22, do not merely listen to the Word, but do what it says. Because it is just incredibly easy, isn't it, to come into church... Sunday morning and you, and you hear a message and we open up the scriptures together and, and we can feel that we're, we're being challenged and we're being convicted and our hearts can be stirred and, and our souls can be nourished and we can be fed on God's word and, and we feel that, that God is near to us and our faith is kind of reignited and all, all of that is good stuff. But it's so easy, isn't it, to then walk out these doors and nothing changes. Nothing changes new, nothing different. We just go back to the same old ways of living, ways of thinking, ways of speaking, ways of acting. We get all excited about these truths from God's Word, but then we just allow God's Word to kind of drift out of our lives and make no real difference on our lives at all. And after a few days, it's just kind of this message that we heard a couple of days ago. It's kind of vague and foggy, and it was just this thing that we, that we did in church on Sunday. And it doesn't necessarily have an impact and lead to transformation in our lives. And sadly, I think that's where so many Christians live. That's, that's our plight. And we don't mean it to be that way, but there is this huge disconnect so often between hearing the Word of God and then doing something with what we hear. Uh, it's ironic because we've got more copies of the Bible today than ever before. I mean, on your phone at the moment, on your device You've got countless translations of the Bible available to you in whatever language you want. And within English, you've got countless English translations with more translations coming out all the time. We're spoiled for choice in terms of our access to the Bible. And you've got access to all kinds of biblical teaching as well. I mean, you can open up YouTube right now. You can listen to seemingly endless uh, gifted Bible teachers from around the world teaching the Bible. You listen to Matt Chandler or Francis Chan or Beth Moore or... Priscilla, Shiro, whoever it is, teaching you the Bible, good Bible teachers. I mean, there's more content there than you can possibly get through. We've got all this Bible teaching. We've got all the Bible that we could possibly handle. But you have to ask the question, is it making a difference? I mean, is it making a difference? Is the church in general stronger because of all this teaching we're hearing? Is the church more impactful? Is it growing? Is it Are we producing more disciples? Are we maturing as disciples because of all this teaching, because of all this Bible that we're hearing? Or is it the case that there is this growing chasm between hearing and doing? And James gives us this sobering warning here. He uses some pretty harsh words, but he says, if that's the case, if if all you are doing is hearing... And by hearing, he's not just meaning Sunday morning church. Okay, he's not just talking about sermons. This could be any context in which we're hearing or reading or studying the Word of God. So it could be your life group. could be your own personal time in the Bible. could be listening to the audio Bible in your car, whatever. If, if, if all we're doing is hearing the Word of God and we're not doing anything with it, we're not putting it into practice at all in our lives. James says, the word he uses, he says, you're deceiving yourselves. It's verse 22. You're deceiving yourself. Because you might think that you're growing. And you might think because you're being convicted and challenged by God's word. You might think that in itself is leading you to progress in your Christian life. and Move towards maturity. But James says if, if, if all you're doing, if you think that, but all you're doing is hearing the word of God, you're deceived. You're deceived. Because if you're just listening... If you're just coming into church on a Sunday, you listen to a sermon, you go out, it makes absolutely no difference in your life. That, that is not going to cause you to grow. That's not going to lead to progress in your Christian life. That's not going to lead you to maturity. In fact, you could argue that if, if we're hearing God's word, but it's not really making any impact, have we even really heard it? Has it really even gone in? Because God's word, if, it re- if we really receive it, it makes a difference. If we really internalize the word of God, I mean, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So when it really gets ingested into our lives, it's transformative, it's powerful, it makes a difference. So if it's not making a difference, you need to think about whether maybe we're just hearing it at a very superficial level, if it's not really leading to any transformation in our lives. So what James is wanting to do in this passage is try to help us close the gap between hearing and doing, simple as that. We've all got that gap in our lives, you think about it, the gap between hearing, how much we're hearing or reading or studying, God's Word, and then doing, how much we're doing, how much we're living this out and allowing it to have a transformative effect on our lives. You may feel like that's a huge gap, in your life, You might feel like it's a small gap, but whatever that gap is, James says, we need to close that gap between hearing and doing so that we are hearers, that's good, good to hear, but also doers, so that we listen and then we act, so that we receive and then we respond, and that is what will lead to progress in our Christian lives, that is what will lead to maturity in our church congregation, that is how we live integrated lives as Christians hearing and doing together. We live connected lives. We live holistic lives that way. We live much more integral lives as believers. So James is wanting to help us close that gap, be hearers of the word, but be doers as well. So what he does in this passage is he uses a particular illustration. And this is why people love James. Is because all through the book, and you know this if you've, if you've read James, he uses these practical illustrations to help us get our heads around the concepts that he's teaching. And it just grounds it for us so beautifully that we can just see real life examples of what he's talking about. So the metaphor that he uses in this passage is the metaphor of the mirror. So we've got a mirror here today, and um, I'm guessing that all of you have spent some time in the mirror this morning. It's some, some of you look like you haven't but most of us spent some time in the mirror this morning so we can, we can relate to this, this metaphor to some degree. You put your makeup on in the mirror, you've shaved in the mirror, done your hair in the mirror, whatever it is. And James uses this simple, everyday object of the humble mirror to explain this idea. So he says, uh, is it verse 23, I think, where he introduces this? Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So James says, imagine that you got up this morning and, and, you, and you worked on your face and you took that tired, drawn, bedraggled, gaunt face and you got it all ready for church and you got it to a point where at least the rest of us can bear it and handle it <laughs> and made it presentable uh, for church. And then as soon as you walked away from the mirror, you completely forgot what you looked like and you lost all recollection of your own face. So that if you, if you caught a glimpse of your face in this mirror right now, you would be shocked. You'd be shocked because you, you, you just lost all recollection of what you actually look like. I mean, we all carry around in our head at least a basic memory of what our own face looks like. right? Maybe not, maybe not a detailed description, but a basic description. But James is saying, imagine if you didn't have that. You had no idea at any given moment what your face looks like because as soon as you leave the mirror, you, you forget. He says, that's like the person who looks at the Word of God, like we're doing now, looking at the Bible, reading Scripture, hearing Scripture, and then goes away, and we just we forget. We don't carry it with us. It just leaks out of our minds, leaks out of our hearts, leaks out of our lives, and it's gone. We're not carrying with us in any real sense what God's Word has said, and we're not really putting it into practice and application in our lives in any meaningful way. It's like looking at your face going away, forgetting what you look like. So at one level, that's just a helpful metaphor to help us understand what James is saying. But there's more going on in the mirror than what first appears. This is the beauty of this illustration. And so often in the Bible, this happens, that you have these metaphors and images and stories. And at one layer, they're just helpful illustrations. But then there's a deeper layer where there's this deeper meaning and this richer meaning that helps us understand things at an even deeper level. And that is true of this illustration that James uses. So in verse 23, have a look at that verse again. When James says, the one who looks at his face in the mirror, the word face there is actually two words. It's not just the word face. It's, there's, he puts another word with it. And together, what that phrase then means is, Face of origin. Face of origin. So he's not just talking about our physical face or our natural appearance. There's something deeper going on here. There's a deeper level. He's talking about our face of origin, looking at our face of origin. And the face of origin is another way of describing the image of God. So James is tapping into something really deep here. And he's talking about seeing within ourselves... The image of God. That's what it means to look at our face of origin. So it's like to look at our face of origin is to catch a glimpse of who we truly are as individuals made in the image of God. It's like looking at yourself in a mirror and seeing the person that God made you to be. Seeing the person that God created you to be. A son, a daughter of God. Made in His image. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And created to have Loving intimate relationship with God, healthy relationship with yourself, loving relationship with other people, loving relationship with the world, culture, society, and so on. To catch a glimpse of who God created us to be. Have you ever done that? Have you ever caught that glimpse of the person that God has made you to be? Sort of like seeing your destiny, seeing the person that God has created you to be. James says that's what it means to look at our face of origin. To look at who you are as the image of God. To look at your true self. And then to look at that in the mirror. To look at your true self in the mirror, in the image of God. And then to walk away and forget what you look like. That's a tragedy. Because that is basically saying, I see who God's made me to be. I see the life that He's called me to live, an abundant and full, and reconciled life. But I'm not interested. I'm just going to walk this way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live a selfish life, egocentric life, a self-governed, self-glorifying, self-preoccupied, self-obsessed, self-gratifying kind of life. That's the life I want to live. James is saying that's a tragedy because it's not then just about hearing a bunch of rules and keeping a bunch of rules over here. This is about seeing who we truly are and then rejecting that. And saying, I don't want that life. I don't want this person made in the image of God. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to do my thing and respond how I want to respond to this situation. Whatever. I'm going to make my own decisions. Thanks very much. And, And that is a disconnection then at the heart of our being between who we truly are as creatures made in the image of God and then how we choose to live. So the stakes are a lot higher than just keeping commandments and keeping rules. It's much, much deeper than that. This is about living in tune with our created purpose. This is about living in tune with our identity. This is about aligning our lives so that we see our face of origin. We see that person God has made us to be, and we say, yes, I want to embrace that. I want to live into that. I don't want to forget that. But by doing God's Word and by taking hold of the truth in Scripture, I want to live into that identity, and I want to gradually allow God to make me into that person. And that is what leads us to be connected people, integrated people, so that being and doing are one and the same. So there's a lot more at stake than just rules and regulations. This is about our identity as creatures made in the image of God. And so James then gets on the other side of this and he says, right, let me show you what the positive situation looks like. Let me show you, we've talked about the negative and what happens when you're not hearing and doing, but look at the positive scenario that eventuates when someone is both a hearer and a doer of God's Word. In verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's a great description, by the way, of the Bible, the perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law, the law is the Old Testament. The New Testament is the perfect law, the law perfected through Jesus. So this is a description of the whole Bible, the perfect law. And James says this perfect law gives freedom. It's so important, I think, because it's easy in a message like this and in a passage like this to feel like this is all just drifting into legalism. It can feel like we've left grace behind, and now we're just talking about obeying a bunch of rules and being good Christians and doing these things and keeping these commandments. And James says, no, no, this is a book of freedom. This is a word of freedom in our lives. It leads us into freedom when we live out what is in this book. You know, if you're just living a self-directed life, that's not freedom. If you're just living a self-gratifying life, you might feel like that's freedom. I'm free to choose whatever I want to do. And we live in the age of the autonomous individual. Freedom of choice is what we're all about. But in reality, James is saying from God's perspective, that's not freedom. That's slavery. Slavery to yourself. Slavery to your own impulses. Slavery to your own instincts and addictions and whatever else. Slavery to sin. Ultimately, slavery to Satan. It's a life of slavery. might feel like freedom, but it's slavery. James says, this is the word that brings freedom. This is the path of freedom. Freedom is living in conformity with the way God's created us to live. Living in conformity with our true humanity as people made in the image of God. That's the path to freedom. So James says, don't hear this as a word of legalism. And some kind of hollow talk about rules and commandments, this is about living into the freedom that we've been created to live as followers of Jesus. The perfect law that gives freedom. And then he says, the perfect law that gives freedom, the one who looks intently into that law, and then, carrying on in verse 25, and continues in it. That word continues is pretty important too. Maybe underline that if you've got a pen. Continues, because it's not just a case, is it? of applying God's Word in a haphazard kind of way, applying it in a kind of token one-off kind of way. You know, Sometimes we can do that as well. I mean, you think back three weeks we had that message on anger. So maybe at the time you were challenged around dealing with the anger in your life, dealing with the bad anger in your life, times that we get angry for the wrong reasons or we get angry out of proportion to the situation or we get angry in the wrong ways, whatever it is. And maybe for the first few days, you, you were really diligent and intentional about dealing with some anger and responding to some situations in a better way and so on and so forth. But here we are now three weeks on. And how's that going? You know, and, 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 and I, I'm the we all struggle with this, right? Because we, we hear something and for about 48 hours, we're really fired up about trying to put that into practice in our lives. But give it another week and it just kind of starts to get really fuzzy. And it just kind of drifts to the back of our mind. And then you come and hear another sermon about something completely different and we're off on a different track. And so it's easy to kind of leave behind the last thing. There's a guy who's got a blog called the James One Twenty Two blog. And what he's done is committed himself to trying to live out a different commandment of Scripture every week for a year. You can read this on his blog. So every week he takes a commandment in the Bible, whatever it may be rejoice in the lord or love your neighbor and he'll blog about how he's trying to apply that command into his life each week now it's good stuff and, and the the intention behind it is really great but you do wonder as you read the blog each each new commandment that comes up you sort of think what happened to the last one and you sort of we're onto a new thing now onto this new train and uh, this this the last 13 14 15 however many commandments uh, are they still anywhere on your radar, or is this kind of like my focus for the week? Is this and next week it's going to be something completely different. It's easy for us to apply things once. It's much more challenging to do what James is asking us to do and continue in it. To continue, the word means to to persevere, to push forward, to endure over a long period of time. Now we only do that as we develop habits in our life, because you can run at something for a couple of days and, and have a good effort. But if you're serious about dealing with anger in your life, for example, it's going to take new habits, isn't it? Of really working over a sustained period of time on your reactions and interactions and responses to a situation and really being intentional about working some new habits into your speaking and home life, relationships, whatever it may be. And perhaps drawing other people in that can keep you accountable. Those are the things you do if you want to continue in it. But we can tend to be kind of one-off application people. It's not what God's word requires of us. James says, the one who continues, continues in it. And he says, for those, for those who look intently into Scripture and then continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's the end of verse 25. They will be blessed in what they do. And that word is the opposite of the one James used earlier, where he said, You're deceived. You know, he said, If there's this split between hearing and doing, then you're, just, you're deceived. But now he says, if you close the gap and you are both a hearer and a doer of God's word, you're not deceived, you're blessed. There's a blessing that'll rest on your life. It's the same word, by the way, that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers and so on, blessed. And then James adds this one, it's like, an, it's like another beatitude. He says, blessed are the doers not just the hearers of God's word. There's a special blessing that rests on our lives when we genuinely seek to put into practice what we've heard. It doesn't affect your standing with God. Please don't hear me saying this is somehow like a salvation issue. You are absolutely secure in your faith. God's favor is upon you if you belong to Jesus. That is not going anywhere, no matter how good or bad or otherwise you are. But when we genuinely hear God's word, And we seek, by the power of His Spirit, to put that into action in our lives. There's a blessing that comes. There's a special blessing. It's the blessing of growing closer to Jesus over the course of our lives. It's the blessing of having our heart transformed, as God said would happen. It's the blessing of, over time, seeing our lives transformed into a closer and closer resemblance of the image of God, transformed with ever-increasing likeness into His glory, is the way the Bible puts it. It's the blessing of loving God more, loving others more, participating more in what God's doing in the world. These are the blessings that come to the person who is not just a hearer of God's Word, but a doer. And so then James finishes with a few practical examples. And I want to look at one of these to try and ground this in real life for us. The application of all this is as broad as the Bible itself. We hear all sorts of things in God's Word, week in, week out. And only you know how this applies directly into your life. But James throws out a few examples in the last couple of verses to say, well, here's some ways in which we can make this practical. And I want to focus on one particular one. He gives really three examples, but two of them he's going to come back to at other points in the letter, and so we'll focus more on them there. But I want to just pick up verse 27. He says, "...religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress." and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's interesting, by the way, that James uses the word religion here in a positive sense. Did you catch that? Because for us evangelical Christians, you often hear Christians, maybe we do it ourselves, using the word religion in a really negative way. And we say, no, I'm not into religion. I'm into Jesus. We say Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. And I know what we mean by that, and, and, and those are good sentiments, but we've got to be careful because James uses the word religion in a good way. He says, yes, there's a bad there's a bad kind of religion. There's plenty of dead religion around, but there's also good religion. Religion is just the, the outward demonstration of our faith. Religion is the visible part of our faith. It's our outward lives or the things that we might do together as a church. It's, it's whatever the visible fruit is of our Christian life. Now, if all you've got is the external stuff and you've got nothing on the inside, you don't have the heart there, That's dead religion. That is hollow. That is empty. We're no better than the Pharisees. But if the external flows out of the internal, if our life of faith flows out of a genuine heart that is growing in love for God and love for others, that that can be pure religion. That can be good religion. That's a kind of religion that God accepts and is pleasing to Him. So we've got to be careful. Let's not write off the word religion entirely because the word can be redeemed. The word can be used in a positive sense, and it is in James chapter 1. So what James says is, what, what does good religion look like? What, what is one of the hallmarks of good religion? It is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, what James is doing there is naming two groups of people that were among the most vulnerable members of society in the first century, orphans and widows. And if you were in either of those categories in the first century, it was not going to be a good life for you. 99% chance it was not going to go well for you. Because this, there, there was no winds, there was no uh, open, open home uh, foundation, there was no government services, there was no social welfare. If you were not able to fend for yourself and provide for yourself, there was nobody else who was going to do it for you. And you would drop through the cracks and you would hit the bottom of the, of the ladder, of the, of the pit. And generally, for orphans and for widows, there were only two paths. One is you'd be forced into begging on the streets. The other is you'd possibly sell yourself into slavery to try and get by. And you'd be exploited in either case. You'd be completely abused and taken advantage of. These were vulnerable, vulnerable groups of people. And so James is calling his readers to step up. He's saying, we've got these vulnerable people. They're in our churches. They're certainly in our communities. What are we doing? Not, not just what are we hearing, what are we, what are we talking about? What are we doing to look after them in their distress? And as James gives this command, this is not a new command. Like People reading this, especially Jewish readers, they're not reading anything new here because James is tapping into a very long tradition right through the Old Testament of God calling His people to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Let me read you just one verse from Isaiah. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to this as one example of many, many verses. Isaiah 1.17, this is God saying, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. God is calling His people quite specifically to look after orphans and widows, And other passages will include the the resident alien, the poor, the stranger, and so on. God time and time again calls His people to look after the most vulnerable members of their communities. And this comes right through the Old Testament and right through the New Testament. So what James is saying is, look, you've heard this before. There's nothing new here. But the question is, are you going to just hear this commandment and then walk out the door and do nothing about it? Or are you going to be a hearer and a doer and find some way of putting this into practice in our lives and in our church to look after the vulnerable and the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised and so on? And it's, it's, a, it's a searching question for us, isn't it? Today, this example, it's, it's a searching question for us. Are we just going to hear about this stuff or are we going to do it? And there are many among us who are doing it who are putting this into practice. I mean, we saw two of them this morning, Joe and Lydia. You think about that ministry that they got engaged in, which was not any kind of formal organized program to begin with at all, but just two people who had a heart for those who were least in our society and spent their Friday nights walking up and down Queen Street, connecting with people, having conversation, giving out hot meals. That's all it was. But they were doing exactly what James commands us to do. Might not literally have all been orphans and widows, but certainly the poor, the vulnerable, the distressed, the homeless, and so on. They were exactly, I think, where Jesus would be if he were here today. And there's many expressions of this. We've got people in our church who work with refugees. We've got chaplains in rest homes. A few of you, a lot of you, a few years ago at Christmas time, you went out carol singing around the homes of some of the widows in our church. You were doing what James calls us to do, looking after the widows, showing love to the widows. We've got people in our church that foster children, children, literally looking after orphans in their distress, and children who can't be with their parents for whatever reason. Reason This is happening, and there's all sorts of grassroots ways in which this is happening that I don't even know about, you may not even know about, just everyday sorts of things. But this is where we need to be challenged. We need to allow James to challenge us. Are we continuing in this? Is it just a one-off thing that we did and that thing that happened for a while when Joe was here? Or are we continuing to live out this central calling of Scripture in our lives And in our church, are we willing to find the ways of keeping on doing this? And it may look like very small, everyday kinds of things. You don't have to wait for an organized program to do this. You don't have to wait for some uh, ministry to be announced or to pop up. It's just looking around. It's just looking around where you are, on your street, in your neighborhood, in in your workplace, maybe in your extended family, wherever you are, around the school that you go to or the school that your kids go to or wherever and just asking, who are the people here who are maybe being a little bit neglected, who are being passed over by other people? Who are the lonely ones? Who are the ones who are a bit sidelined, a bit looked over, who are not drawn in by other people? Can you, in some way, find a way of moving towards them with love and with compassion and with kindness, finding a practical way to encourage them, take a first step, towards showing the love of Jesus to them because that is what is going to make the difference for you, moving you from just being a hearer to being a doer of God's Word. It's just looking around. Everyday things, ordinary actions, ordinary words, even praying for others is a good first step. Let's not just be hearers. Let's be doers of God's Word. And you know, the great thing is, the church, churches that James was writing to they stepped up to this. I mean, they really responded. History shows us in the first few centuries of the church, Christians really got this. And serving the poor became a central expression of the Christian faith. Not just this kind of, oh, that's, that's for some people over there who believe in that kind of stuff and a call to that kind of stuff. It was really taken seriously. And by the third century, there was, a, there was an emperor of the Roman Empire, a guy named Julian. And this guy he hated Christians. He was not a Christian at all. He really wanted people to follow the Roman gods and buy into Roman religion in various forms. He couldn't stand the Christians. In fact, he called Christians atheists, which is a strange term. But what he meant by that is the Romans would worship gods they could see, you know, statues and images and idols and so on. And these Christians, they worshiped a god they couldn't see. So that's obviously no god at all. So you must be atheists. So he always refers to Christians as atheists. And you you read his writings and you've got to get your head around it. He talks about atheists. He's actually talking about Christians. But here's what he wrote about Christians. This is in the third century. And just remember again, a pagan, non-Christian emperor. Here's what he writes. Atheism, Christianity, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who was a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is a great testimony to the power of the church in that era, that from this guy who couldn't stand Christians, he's forced to admit they are doing the job better than us because these Christians were listening to James and not just listening they were doing. They were stepping up and they were showing care not only for the vulnerable in their communities but for the vulnerable in broader society as well. It's a huge challenge for us in this. So, maybe as one practical way of just starting to apply everything that James is talking about here, when you look in the mirror next time, okay, or maybe from now on, every time you look in the mirror, what you could do is get yourself a marker. And write on this mirror, not this mirror because it's not mine, but right on your mirror at home, James one twenty-two: do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. And then every time you look in the mirror, remind yourself of James one twenty-two and this passage. And that calling to be not just hearers, hearing is good. And if you're not hearing God's word at all, that's a good place to start. But not just hearers, but doers of God's word. And maybe every time you're in the mirror there, When you're putting the makeup on or you're shaving or you're doing your teeth or whatever it is, think about what have I been reading in God's Word recently? What have I I heard on Sunday? What was the sermon about? What, What did we talk about in life group this week? And how am I putting that into practice? How am I taking a step? Maybe that's a time to actually pray and say to God, God, show me a next step. I hear this. I don't quite know how to apply it. I don't know what to do. I can't see the first step. I think if you honestly pray that prayer and come to him and ask God, help me to apply, one way or another he'll show you. One way or another he will show you how to begin putting this into practice. But take that time, recollect how you've been engaging with scripture recently in whatever context and ask God to show you how you can start living that out in your life as a practical way of responding to what James is saying. May we be hearers and doers of God's word. May we listen well and then may we act. May we receive from God's Word. And then may we respond with faithful lives lived in obedience to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we hear Your Word this morning. And I'm conscious of just how easy it is for this to be another time when we hear Scripture. And then we can walk out the door and already lunches on our minds and the demands of the day and what's coming up this week and Easter next week and all of those things. Lord, they're already crowding out your word. They're already cluttering our minds. And, and Lord, we don't want to lose the word that we've heard from you this morning. We don't want to lose the word that we hear from you at all anytime in our lives. But it's just so easy, God, when there's so much noise going on in our life for all this to be squeezed out. We want to come to you now, Father, and say this is important to us because it's important to you. And Father, we want to ask for your strength. We want to ask for your wisdom. We want to ask that you would give us minds and hearts to continue in what we are hearing from you. That as we take your word, Father, we want to pray not just for Sundays and life group nights, but for all the rest of our week, that your word would keep working itself out in our lives. God, would you show us the next steps that we can take? Would you show us the lives that you're calling us to lead? Would you show us just in really small moments, in everyday moments, would you bring back into our mind the word that we've heard and say in that still small voice, this is one of those times. This is a moment. You can step into this. You can live this out. You can practice now what you've heard. Father, we want to be doers of your word. And in all of this, we want to be mindful of your grace. Lord, don't let us drift into legalism and just keeping rules for the sake of keeping rules. Lord help us to practice that true and deep kind of religion that James describes where our life of faith bubbles up from a deep love that we have for you because of what you've done for us through Jesus. May it all be a work of grace in our lives we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church.